We now bring you the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast, featuring the late Dr. Harold B. Seitler, founding pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church and Ministries in Greenville, South Carolina. And now, today's edition of the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. With your Bible open, Genesis chapter number 6, please, verse number 1. Now again, I say it's a joy to have you that visit. I see my friends up at Asheville. I appreciate Brother Todd and his friends, his family with him, his friend with him today. And then we have a, a pastor friend here from down in Louisiana, recently moved to Greenville. So glad to have him. And this young brother here from Kingsport, so glad to have you, young man. And others that I might not recognize, but I want you to know that each of you are just as welcome in our church anytime that you can come. Come right on and make yourself at home and sit down and enjoy the fellowship of God's people. Bring your Bible along and give God some time in the Word and in Christian fellowship. It'll help you be a better man or a better woman. Certainly help you be a better Christian if you'll be faithful to the Lord and to His services. Now I want to bring you a message today as God leads me on uh, on the ark, Noah's ark, as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of the Lord Jesus. In verse 1, Genesis chapter number 6, And it came to pass that when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were very fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now this is kind of a controversial verse, verse number 2. Somebody says, who are these sons of God? Somebody says, I believe that these sons of God are some type of an angelic being, not altogether a human being. But I've never been able to see that. I wouldn't argue with you one minute. But as far as I'm concerned, the sons of God were those that had faith and who believe as I am a son of God by grace and by faith. I can't conceive of these sons of God being angels, uh, marrying uh, young ladies, might as well how fair they may be. I can't imagine an angel marrying a, uh, a human being, a woman of Adam's seed, you see, Adam's race. But I wouldn't argue at the point with you. If you want to believe they're angels, I don't think, think you've done uh, the scriptures in a violence necessarily, but I just don't see that. The sons of God were God's people, men of faith, who saw that the daughters of men were fair. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Note. 120 years. Now, man's days are threescore and ten years. That's quite shorter than 120, isn't it? And there were giants in the earth in those days. Now, that's not too difficult for us to believe. Uh, there was giants in Israel in the days of Joshua. The sons of Anak were giants, and they lived in Israel. And you remember uh, Goliath was a giant. Nine foot tall he was. Nine uh, feet tall was uh, Goliath. A mighty giant. There were many giants in Israel in that day. And uh, uh, giants doesn't necessarily mean that they were mammoth. It means that they were giant. You'd call me a giant in comparison to Brother Aiken. Uh, he's about to catch me, but he hadn't called me yet. But anyway, uh, I'm much larger than he is. Some people call me a giant, you see. Well, I am much larger than Brother Aiken uh, in size and pounds. That's about all. But anyway... Uh, that's uh, what it means. It doesn't mean that they were mammoth men, but they were large men as Goliath. And there were giants in the earth in those days. Also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, they bare children. And the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Men of renown, the word renown mean, means a great men, means uh, uh, men of wisdom and knowledge. 
men of great power and authority, men of renown. That's what the word renown means. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And it repeated God that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy a man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping things and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 8 is one of the great verses of the Bible. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now you can put your name in the name of place of Noah's name in that verse. And the last one of us in this building that saved found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now I don't mean by that that I worked it out or sought it out. God worked me out and sought me out. I found grace in that fashion in the eyes of God. He saved me. I was not worth saving. But by grace I am saved, and I praise God for that. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Now these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, and perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God, and Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was corrupt uh, before the Lord, and the earth was filled with violence. Sounds like 1973, doesn't it? And the Lord looked down upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his ways upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the, uh, with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion that thou shalt make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, that's 450 feet. And the breadth 50 cubits, that's 75 feet. And the height, 30 cubits, that's 45 feet high. Now you can get the idea of the size of the ark in verse number 15. The length, 450 feet. And the width, 75 feet. And the height, 45 feet. That's a pretty good-sized boat. Pretty good-sized boat. You'd have to concede that. Now wonder shalt thou make uh, to the ark, and a cubit wide, square, shalt thou finish, finish it above. The door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with a lower and second and third stories shalt thou make it. That 45 feet high boat was to have three stories on the inside. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh which is in the breath, uh, which is the breath of life from under heaven. And everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wives, and thy sons' wives with thee. And of everything of flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. And they shall be male and female, of the fowls after their kind, of the cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Two of every sort shall come into the ark to keep them alive. And to take thou unto thee all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that the Lord commanded, so did he. Now, here's a tremendous story in the Bible. Now, it's not only a story, it's an episode, an actual event that transpired, that's written down, the record of it written down in the pages of God's Word, Noah's Ark. Sometimes men laugh at this uh, episode, they laugh at the ark. They say it's an utter impossibility to think that an ark could be built of such a mammoth size by one man, by Noah, 
Well, he had three sons, and I have reason to believe that Noah and his three sons worked together in this great construction of this ark described in this chapter. Now, God saw that the human family had so corrupted itself until he repented. He changed his mind, is what the word repent literally means. He changed his mind and said, I'm going to destroy man. Now, that's a sad thing, that God had to come to that kind of conclusion. We saw a little bit of that in our Sunday school lesson today in Isaiah 28. Uh, God uh, caused the Assyrians to come down to destroy Samaria. And Samaria is Israel, God's ten northern tribes. And God used a pagan people, the Assyrian people, or an Assyrian king, to bring chastisement upon his own people, the people of Israel. God repented that he had made man, and he said, I'm going to destroy man from the face of the earth. Man whom I've created, I shall destroy. You build the ark, Noah. And when you get the ark built, I want you to bring your wife, your three sons and their wives. That's eight people. Bring them into the ark. And then I want you to bring two of every sort of all the beasts of the field and of all the fowls of the air. I want you to bring two of every sort into the ark uh, that they may be with you after the flood is over. And I shall destroy man from the face of the earth. Now with those orders, Noah began building the ark. In Hebrews chapter number 11, we're told that Noah believed God and prepared for himself an ark with which he saved his family and became a testimony, a witness to all the world. He condemned all the world by his faithful witness in building that ark. Now, as far as we know, and as far as the Bible tells us, it had never rained up until this time. God had up until this moment wet the earth with the dew of the heavens. And uh, people didn't know what a flood was. If you'd I uh, mentioned the flood before the flood came. Folk would have been confused. They didn't know what a flood was. The rivers were in their banks and the oceans were in their borders and the uh, heavens dew wet the earth and provided sufficient moisture to raise the food they needed. They didn't know what a rainstorm was or a flood was. And but God said, I'm going to open the fountains from the deep. I'm going to send the fountains from above and the floodwaters shall rise upon the earth, and I shall destroy all that I've created. Now, God did exactly that. Now, Noah went ahead, built the ark obediently. I imagine he might have been the, uh, the laughing stock of everybody in that country. I'm sure people marveled at him and said, said you're a fool. Why, there's no water. Why don't you build the ark down by the, the, the Mediterranean? Uh, you can float the boat maybe in the sea. There's no water here, but Noah knew what he was doing. And he knew that the flood would come and float the ark that he was building right where it was. But he kept on building. He didn't let men discourage him. Sometimes you, when you begin to make preparation to meet God and, and get right with God, uh, folk mock at you and laugh at you and insinuate against you and call you old-fashioned. You, you better pay them no mind, my friend. You better make your ark and find shelter and refuge in the ark because the judgment of God is as sure to come in the future as it did come in this ancient day about which I read in Genesis chapter number 6. And the only ones that shall, shall ride the tide of coming judgment are those that are sheltered in the arms of the Almighty. You know that. You believe that. And find refuge while you can. Noah built the ark and brought his wife, his three sons and their wives into the ark. And for seven days, we're told in the next chapter, that the doors of that ark remained open, as if God was given a final uh, moment for others to repent and come on the inside and be saved along with Noah and his family. Now, I'm of the opinion that had somebody believed, they could have come in and been preserved. Had they believed and repented 
had accepted Noah's invitation, they could have walked into the ark in that seven-day period. But after the seven days, God, we're told, shut the door. Noah didn't shut it. God shut the door. And when the door was shut, then it wasn't long until the clouds begin to appear, the rains begin to come, and the fountains begin uh, to be broken up from beneath, and soon the waters begin to rise, and it's not long until the boat is floating, and people are dying by the thousands on the outside. Many of them knocking on Noah's door, but it's too late. Noah didn't close the door, nor can Noah open the door, and all human flesh died that was upon the earth in the judgment of God. Isn't that a tremendous thing? You say, well, Brother Harold, you really believe there was a flood on the earth? Well, certainly, my friend, I believe that. I'm not an infidel. I believe the Bible. But scientists don't, well, make sure of what scientists believe. I think the Bible's greater than scientists. But my geographer books makes no difference what your geographer book says or your history book says. This geographer book, this history book says the flood came. And I'm going to believe this one, you see, God's word. Yeah. No, don't, don't insinuate uh, that you're too intelligent. It's not your intelligence that bothers you. It's a wicked heart of unbelief that bothers you. Surely I believe the flood came. And I believe the flood did exactly what the Bible said it did do. And that I believe also that Noah and his family found grace in the eyes of God and were preserved through that flood. Now, if you study the ark, you can see the Lord in this ark in type. And that's the whole point. There's no point in me bringing a message on Noah's heart unless we can see the Savior, unless we can see redemption. And that's what I want to do if I can in this message now. The typology involved in Noah's ark, I want you to see. And there are more than one way, there's more than one way that this ark is a perfect picture of my redemption and yours, a perfect picture of my refuge and your refuge as well. Now let me get into these ways in which the ark is a type of the Savior. Number one, the, the ark that Noah built is a type of Christ in that it had only one door of entrance. Now to me, that's very important. Uh, reason would not have allowed Noah to put only one, ark, one door in that ark. It was 450 feet long. It was three stories high. And it was 75 feet wide. Reason would have said, let's put at least a dozen doors or half a dozen doors, three on either side, at least maybe three on every floor on either side. That would have been 18 doors. Reason would have said, you ought to have at least 18 doors on this ark. But God said, Noah, I want you to finish one door. Only one door. Just one door. And that door is to be the only way of entrance. And that door was to be fit and cut in the side of that ark. And everybody that came into the ark, Noah and his wife and their sons and their wives, and all the animals that were preserved as well, must come by that door. No other way to get in except by that door. Now you know what I'm talking about. Jesus said, I am the door. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus said, no man cometh unto the Father except he come by me. Jesus is not a way among many, but he's the way and the only way to eternal life, you see. And so God said, cut one door in the side of that ark. Now, would that folk could see that? To me, that is significant. Uh, Noah ordinarily would not have done that. And the only reason he cut one door in that mammoth boat was because God told him to put one door in. And that, that speaks symbolically 
and in typology of the one way of entrance into our ark of safety, into our refuge of safety. And there's only one way that a sinner can be refuged from coming judgment, and that's through the door. Through the door, not a door, but three, through the door. Now there's five doors in this auditorium, and you can come in through any one of them and sit down in this auditorium and fellowship with your brethren. That'll be all right. Come in through any door you desire. But I mark you, there's not five ways to come into the kingdom. There's only one way to get into God's eternal kingdom. There's only one way to become refuge from the coming judgment of God upon sin and the sinner. And that one way is by and through Jesus, the door. Amen. Then number two, the ark is a type of Christ in that there was only one way of light, one source of light. I read to you a while ago in verse 16 where God said, a window, a window. Now, humanly speaking, that was an absurd thing also. A, 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 a boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, three stories high, one window. That doesn't seem practical, does it? Not all the boat would be submerged beneath water. Certainly the top story would have been above the water. Why not put a dozen windows in this ark, Brother Noah? Uh, it, uh, much of it will be under the water, but the top story will be above the water. Why don't we just put a, half it up? No, just one window. And I, I mark you also that that window was not placed in the side as the door was, but that window was specifically spelled out that it's to be cut above, overhead. One window, and that window was up overhead. Now, what do you see in that? I, I see that the only source of light in that great 450-foot-long boat, 75 feet wide, was from above. I see also that every time Noah looked out, he had to look up. And sometimes God has to teach me and you to do that, to teach us to look up. If Noah had had the windows fit in the, in the side of the boat, he could have looked out of that boat and saw the judgment and the death and the ruin, the rising waters. He could have seen the cattle destroyed. He could have seen some of his own relatives destroyed and some of his neighbors drowned into death. He could have seen all that. But may I remind you, listen to this. This is significant to me. Noah did not see one bit of that water once it hit the ground. He saw the judgment coming down. He saw the range coming down. He could see that from the window fit overhead. But once that judgment was upon the earth and the tides began to rise and people began to die, Noah saw none of that. Because the only way he could look out was to look up. And I see in that that you and I likewise will be delivered from the days of the tribulation, from the great tribulation. We're not going to be on the plagues of God are poured out so intense upon this earth until a third of the population of the world will die. And except those days be shortened, there shall be no flesh left on the earth. I won't be you when that happens. And you won't either. I'll see none of that. You'll see none of that. We'll be delivered from it. And when God said, finish that wonder overhead, he's speaking in typology and symbolism to me and you. By reminding us that when the judgment of God falls in this generation, in this closing generation, you and I shall not see it. We're sheltered from even the sight of the judgment inside the ark. We're not in the water. We're in the ark. And we're preserved in that ark. 
and we see none of God's judgment. Every time we look out, we have to look up. Isn't that a tremendous lesson? And God knew what he was doing when he said, Noah, finish that wonder overhead so your eyes can be fastened upon the Savior. God is teaching Noah to look up. God is sheltering Noah from the ordeal of witnessing the intense judgment of God by finishing the wonder overhead instead of in the side. Then number three, this ark is a type of Christ in that it represented the only way to be preserved from the judgment that is sure to follow. Now, I imagine while Noah was building that ark that a lot of people came by and said, Brother Noah, <clears throat> I think I know a better way. I believe I can figure out a better way. And if you'll sit down with me, I think you'll abandon this boat idea and this ark idea. And I, I have a better way to be preserved. You talk about judgment coming. They might have said, don't get too excited. I think everything will be all right. And I can figure out some other way. Uh, you go by your boat ride, I'll go some other route. But you and I know that the only way to be preserved was through that ark. Uh, that tells me that every other living creature on the earth, both man and beast, died. And I take that literally. Everything died in the waters of the flood that came upon the earth. Only those inside the ark, both of the animal kingdom and the human family, only those eight souls Noah and his family were preserved. Everybody else died. And the only way to be preserved is in that ark. An ark of safety it becomes indeed. My old pastor when I was a boy used to talk about the ark of safety. And I never shall forget that terminology. It impressed itself upon my mind. And that's what it actually is. An ark of safety. Now what that ark was to Noah, Jesus is that to me. I read in, in Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other. Now, don't spiritualize that. Don't read anything else un, into it. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, my friend, that tells me that if you reject Jesus, there's no other way. If you won't bow your knee to the Savior, then there's no other solution. If men will not come to Jesus, to whom shall we go, Lord? Thou hast the words of eternal life. There's no hope apart from Jesus Christ, the Savior. Now, here it is. This is the only way to be preserved. Now, I want to say this to this congregation today. You're an intelligent people. You, you have a sound mind, and you can make good judgments. I want to say to you that the only way that you can ever be right with God when you come to die, and come to die all of us will, is to find that refuge in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Not in church membership. Now I'd recommend church membership. Not in baptism, though I recommend baptism also. Not in the elements of the communion table, though I recommend that as well. And next Sunday is our communion Sunday, next Sunday night. Not in good works, I recommend that. Not in tithing, I recommend that in and practice that as well. But none of those things will avail when it comes to sheltering my soul from the judgment of God. My hope is built upon nothing less than Jesus' name and his righteousness. All of the ground is sinking sand. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean upon Jesus' name. Amen. My hope's in the Savior, brethren. Amen.
They'll roll my body down this aisle like we rolled Brother Turner's body down here uh, Thursday and Miss Lansdell's down here Friday. One day they'll roll my body down to this altar and, and you'll come by and look at my uh, cold, dead face. You just remember when you're looking at me that the old preacher's on the other side and everything's all right. My father's house, everything's all right. And I'm having me a time on the other side. I found a refuge. I found a sufficient refuge. I found the way. I found the Savior. And he's never disappointed me. And he'll not disappoint me in the last hour of my sojourn. Oh, yes. This represented the only way. No other way. Jesus is the only way. Then again, this ark is a type of Christ in that it was three stories high. Now, that's significant to me. Why didn't God say, no, just make a great big boat? Why bother about putting three stories? And we, we read there a moment ago uh, where God carefully said, first, a second, and a third story. Shalt thou make it? Now, the three stories in this ark, to me, is a picture of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three working together in my redemption. In a triune God, I have complete shelter and complete refuge in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, the foundation. The Son of God upon the foundation. And you and I, saved by grace, added to that foundation by the miracle of the new birth. A triune God working together in my redemption and yours is set forth and symbolized by the fact that the ark was three stories high. Now, I don't believe in three gods, but I believe in God in three persons. My Heavenly Father, my personal Savior, my daily comforter, the Blessed Spirit. They are my constant companions. They are my Redeemer. I'm saved by a triune God. God the Father is concerned. God the Son is concerned. God the Holy Spirit is concerned. A triune God is concerned about uh, the salvation of trusting sinners in this world. And I see the Trinity set forth in type in the three stories of the ark. Then number five, this ark is a type of Christ in that it was pitched within and without with pitch. Verse 14, thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. Now the same word, this is a very interesting thing that might be wise for you to remember. The same word translated in the King James Bible pitch is the word translated atonement also. Thou shalt make atonement in that ark, pitch in that ark, on the inside and the outside. Now ordinarily, pitch is not a thing of beauty. When I was a boy, I, I used to make things like uh, any other boy tried to make things. Uh, I, I never have had what you call a mechanical mind. I was given uh, to building automobiles and racing automobiles and things like that. But every boy will build something uh, as a lad. And I guess I built my share of the boats. I remember one time I had a boat big enough for me to get in. That's pretty large. It built one big enough for me. And I had to fix that boat up with pitch to keep the water out, you see, to keep things from sinking. Now, ordinarily, pitch is not something beautiful. You make pitch out of a tar, and you smear that pitch. You don't handle it very, it's not easy to handle. You can't make it a thing of beauty. You dab it into the cracks and into the corners and the crevices uh, to seal that boat that you made from the waters on the outside. And I've done that, and it's not a thing of beauty. And I, I'm sure that when God said, Noah, I want you to pitch this big boat within and without, 
that Noah might have said, now Lord, I'm not much of a hand at that. Then I'll mess this thing up. It won't look hardly worth anything when I, when I dab this thing full of pitch. Let me pitch it only, only on the inside. God said, don't worry, there won't be anybody on the outside to look at it anyway. So just dab it on the inside and outside. Amen. There wasn't anybody on the outside to look at it, was it? The only people in the world to see it was those on the inside. And those on the inside weren't worried about how pretty it was. They were, they were concerned about how safe it was, you see. And so God said, I want you to dab it on the outside and inside with pitch black tar. Just fill the cracks and the crevices uh, with black tar inside and out. And when Noah got through with that, his own family might have said, Noah, you ruined it. It looks terrible. Oh, this thing filled up with tar and inside and out. But you know, when that water began to rise, that black pitch sure did the thing right. The waters didn't get into the ark. I'm convinced the, that that ark was as dry as the floor of this auditorium. Once the water began to rise, no water came into that ark. The pitch kept the water out and kept the saints on the inside secure from the water. Now, what are you, what are you saying, preacher? I, I find that Jesus does that for me and you. Isaiah in chapter 53, and we'll get to that in our Sunday school series, by the way, says when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah says that he is as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form, nor comeliness. Now Jesus is that to the world. I have never seen a pretty root out of dry ground. Now I've seen some beautiful trees above the ground and that tree gets its life from the roots under the ground. But I think one of the, one of the uh, probably the most unattractive sight you ever saw is a tree with a root protruding out of the ground. And it's gotten hard and dry and it ought to be covered up. It ought to be in the ground, drawing life of the tree. But here it is out of the ground. It's almost a useless thing. It's not a very attractive thing. No flowers grow on it. No leaves uh, grow on it. It's in their own place. A root is not anything beautiful. Now Jesus is that. To the world. Now to me and you that love the Lord, the people of the world look at me and you and they say, why in the world, how in the world is it that you can love the Lord Jesus? When there's so many great things in the world, the pleasures of the world are so numerous, how is it that you can love the Lord? I uh, Here's more than a thousand people that preach in the tabernacle on Sunday and Hartwell Lake just 50 miles away. How in the world can you take it? You mean to tell me just 50 miles away, a beautiful lake of water, and you go to church on Sunday, and not only Sunday morning, but come back on Sunday night? I don't understand that. That's right. You sure don't. And the only Jesus you've ever seen is one that, that's uncomely. The only Jesus you've ever seen is one on the outside. You're on the outside. What you need to do is to come on the inside. The tabernacle in the wilderness had four coverings uh, to cover the tabernacle and shelter it from the rain and from the dust on the outside. Now that outside cover was a badger skin. And there wasn't a thing about it attractive, not a thing. A brownish sort of a color. And you look at it at a distance, it was very uncomely. Nobody would covet that badger skin. But I'll mark you, there was, a, there was two others under that. And then there was a fourth cover on the inside. And nobody saw that fourth cover except those on the inside. And if you ever went into the tabernacle and looked up, you saw the most beautiful blue 
a covering on the inside of the tabernacle with a cherubim woven with skilled hands into that blue covering. And you stood there and just marveled. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? And people on the outside, look at that old dirty tabernacle. Look at that old badger skin. How uncomely that is. My friend, you're looking at it from the wrong side. You see what I'm driving at? If you could see Jesus like I do. If you could feel the Lord like Brother Melvin did when he sang a moment ago. If you could feel the Lord like our people feel the Lord. If you could love Jesus and know him as we know him. He's not a badger skin. No, he's fine, twine, linen, blue, with a cherubim woven in it. Cherished among thousands he is. And the reason you don't see that is because you're on the outside. You come on the inside and you can see it. Amen. Now that ark I imagine Noah built was a very uncommonly sight with that pitch dabbed in every crack and crevice. But if you go on the inside and know that on the outside the waters are rising and people are dying and animals are dying, everybody was going to die. And here you are safely sheltered and secured. You wouldn't care how that pitch might look as long as it kept the waters out. And I want to say that to you. It matters not what you might think about Jesus as long as he's my Savior. And when I stand before God, you might scoff at him all your lifetime. But when I stand with Jesus before God and he say, come thou son and inherit eternal life. Brother, I'll shout then. You laugh at him now, but I'll rejoice then that my hope was fixed in Jesus Christ. The pitch within and without is a picture and type of the blood of Jesus that keeps the waters of the judgment from me and you. And the waters of God's judgment will never reach you. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Then number six, the ark is a type of Christ in that the door was finally shut. The door was finally shut. Noe didn't close it. God closed it. Chapter 7, verse 16, and the Lord shut him in. The day came when God reached down and closed the door to that ark. Noah couldn't open it, didn't open it. God opened the door, allowed it to remain open seven days, and then God closed it. And when God closed it, that ark was never opened again until after the floodwaters began to subside. Now I want to say to you, that this is a picture of the day when God will, will withdraw and close the door of opportunity in the face of sinners that say no to God and rebel against the Savior. My spirit, I read in this chapter a moment ago, shall not always strive with men. The time could come today when God would reach down and shut the door. And once the door is shut, men may beat on it on the outside. And men may beseech God to let them come in. But there's no way in the world for you to get in once the door is shut. Today, if any man hear my voice, harden not your heart. Today. Today. Then last but not least, this ark is a type of Christ in that it landed safely after the judgment was over. And then I want to remind you at this point also that not only did it land safely, but it landed high up when it finally rested. It rested upon Mount Ariat. Now to me that's a tremendous thing. For 150 days the water was upon the earth. The judgment was upon the earth. That's almost a, a half a year. Six months. The waters are upon the earth. 
And everybody died. Naturally, in six months, everything, every creeping thing, every fowl, every beast of the field would die. In six months, the waters were upon the earth. Then finally, the waters began to subside. And that ark was just as secure on the 151st day as it was the day the rains began to come. It rode the storm safely. For 150 days, Noah drifted in that boat. And he drifted high. He went on high, if you please. And that ark came to rest upon Mount Ariat. Mount Ariat is in northern Turkey today. Always been there, of course. It's 17,000 feet high. Mount Ariat, one of the highest peaks upon the earth. 17,000 feet. I think I'm great in that. I'm pretty sure I am. 17,000. In other words, uh, halfway up the mountain, you've got ice and all the way to the top. Nothing but solid cake of ice. And that's where the ark rested. Of course, the ice melted in that 150 days. The waters were upon the earth. The waters covered the Mount Ariat. And that ice top that's there today melted away. And Noah's ark rested on top of the ground on top of Mount Ariat. There is strong indication that that ark's still there today. I've read some news releases from aviators who've flown over Mount Ariat and they, they vow that they've seen what looks like a boat encased in that solid ice on top of that 17,000 foot mountain in Turkey. And there's been several expositions uh, going to the top of the mountain to find that ark. And the last such uh, excursion was stopped by the Russians, the communists. They wouldn't allow them to do it. Can you imagine how embarrassed the communists would be if Noah's Ark was to be found? And I wouldn't be at all surprised that that Ark's not right there now. You see, that mountain stays covered summer and winter with ice. It's never, never, uh, the peak is never melting. The peak is never melted except, except that one time when the flood rose above it, you see, and melted the ice. And the ark rested on top of that mountain. And then as soon as the waters begin to subside, the very next rainfall, you've got the ice on top of that mountain. Next time you have a fog, you've got the ice on top of that mountain. And today the mountain is covered. And the ark could be well preserved. Think of that. Wouldn't it be spectacular? If they were to find Noah's ark well preserved on top of that mountain. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying the ark's there. I don't know. I've said I've read reports that indicate the ark might be on top of Ariat until this very day. Many centuries have passed by. And if it is covered with ice, you can understand the ark could be well preserved if it's been covered with ice all these millenniums. Be that as it may. Here's the typology I want you to note. That ark, when it finished its work, rested on high. My Savior, when he finished his work, ascended on high and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God on high. And there he remains until he shall come again to take me to be with himself. The ark rode the waters of the flood safely and then rested on high after the waters of the flood began to subside. Jesus is my ark. He'll bear me through and carry me through every trial or test or tribulation in this pilgrim journey. Because he's at the right hand of the throne of God on high. Ever living to make intercession for me and you. Who are saved in the grace of God. Now, do you think it would have been possible 
for Noah to have built an ark and build it so precisely, so scripturally, and have these wonderful types so clearly set forth if it was only Noah's doings and Noah's conniving and Noah's planning, it could never happen. I'd like to remind you that God the Father led Noah in doing exactly what he did. And in everything he did, he typified my Lord and my Savior, who is my ark of safety, in whom I rest today and find refuge and shelter, and shall find refuge and shelter from any storm of any tomorrow. Jesus is my ark. May we bow our heads in prayer. Our Father, help us to see this typology today and glean from it something that will help us be a better Christian, to help us appreciate the Savior and what the Savior does for us in a greater way. My Jesus, I love thee today. I know thou art mine, for thee all the fathers of this world are resigned. And I appreciate the goodness of God in the land of the living. And I pray, bless the people that heard me preach about this ark as a type of the Lord Jesus. And help us each to love you more. Now, Lord, if there's one under the sound of my voice that has never come in this open door, help them to know that any time God may shut that door. And help them to know that once the door is shut, there's no way for them to enter. There's no way for them to be sheltered from the coming judgment. And while it's called today, grant that men might repent and come to the Savior and become sheltered. In Jesus' name I pray. With heads bowed, eyes closed, may we stand to our feet, everybody. We thank you for listening to the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen and join us next time on the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast.